welcome to New Age Raid, a podcast about spirituality in the modern age. My name is Brody, and I shall be your host. Okay, guys, welcome back to the show. This will be our introductory episode on Buddhism. So just as an overview of what we'll be doing, um, first we'll start out with a basic look at what Buddhism is, um, kind of its origins, the central teachings. And then from there, we'll kind of move into my own personal experience with it, the things that really worked for me, the experiences I had in practicing it. And from there, we'll move into what I consider to be the practical tech. So that's the stuff that's going to be um, so useful as to be applicable to everybody, I feel like. Not that you have to do anything I say, but that I feel like there's principles from there that are applicable to anyone's life that will improve it. Um, and I'll also be giving you guys some resources that you can use to continue on your own study. Um, there's a lot of good podcasts and books out there um, that I would recommend. And so we'll do that and call it good. So let's go ahead and get started. So going over basics of Buddhism here. Um, so Buddhism originates somewhere between the 6th and 4th century BC, based upon the teachings of one Gautama Buddha, um, also known as Siddhartha. Um, the Buddha witnessed suffering in his life, and he kind of decided he wanted to go on a quest to solve that specific problem. Um, there's variations on the story that said he was the son of a Brahmin, and like a really rich man, and then he went to the city and and saw, you know, poor people, and this frustrated him. But I I guess from what I've read, the that's an addition that kind of came after the fact. Um, and there's not historians don't have a solid way of proving if that's true. It makes for a great story though. Um, regardless, so the Buddha went on this journey to try and find how to end suffering. Um, and he did that in a lot of ways. He was taught by many people. He even became an ascetic, basically depriving himself, you know, eating little, you know, sitting out in bad weather, that kind of stuff. Um, but all of this ended up being insufficient um, for solving the problem, which was ending suffering. Um, so he just decided that he was going to meditate under a Bodhi tree. Now, well, that's where we get the word Buddha. Um, he sat under a Bodhi tree. Um, often practitioners of Buddhism are called bodhisattvas, um, and it all kind of comes from the name of that tree. So he sat under there for quite a long while, attained enlightenment, and then began teaching other people. Um, the things that he taught consist of the four noble truths. Um, we start out with number one, life is suffering. So <laughs> they, they don't mess around from the get-go. Uh, life is suffering, and that the reason that we suffer is because we cling to that which is impermanent, and we get caught in a perpetual cycle of craving or, or dukkha. Um, however, there is a way to be freed from this cycle um, called samsara. Uh, so this endless cycle of life, death, and reverse, rebirth, and that is by following what is called the Eightfold Path, which leads to nirvana. So from what I understand, the word nirvana uh, translates to the blowing out or the quenching. Uh, basically, it's the end of that cycle. Um, the Eightfold Path is a combination of wisdom, moral values, and meditation, which are 
kind of respectfully right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Um, so many of you may know that the symbol for Buddhism is this eight-spoked wheel, and there's eight of them because of the Eightfold Path. Um, for me, the best way to summarize it is that one must view the world as it is, correctly, uh, seeking to understand things as they truly are. And the practice of meditation helps to kind of instill a gap between stimulus and reactivity, giving us space to choose how we act rather than react. Um, and that that mindfulness, so mindfulness is kind of separate than meditation. Meditation is the practice of um, sitting and um, trying to allow yourself to be quiet, um, to still your mind. Mindfulness is being actively engaged all the time. It is being present. And that's key to seeing things as they are, in the sense that instead of allowing yourself to be overtaken by thoughts of the past or the future, instead that you're here in the now. Um, one of the most influential teachers, I think for people in general when it comes to Buddhism, but also to me, is, is Thich Nhat Hanh. So he's a Vietnamese monk. He was born in Vietnam, but he was expelled for his anti-war rhetoric. And he started a retreat in France called Plum Village. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But he has a story um, about doing the dishes to do the dishes. That that's the kind of mindset you need to be in. Most of us do the dishes to get them out of the way, to get them taken care of. We force ourselves to do them, and we don't enjoy it. He says you should do the dishes to do the, the dishes, to focus on doing it and enjoying it, um, and that you also approach everything else in life that way. Um, but at the end of the day, because there are so many things that are out of our control and we must endure suffering, we should learn how to enjoy the little things, see the beauty in everything. And that's what... Um, the purpose of mindfulness and meditation seems to be is to help us find beauty and happiness and contentment in the present. Um, the other thing that I really enjoy about Buddhism is it's got a ton of notable parables. And we'll kind of talk about a couple of those. Um, but the gist of it, I can kind of find summed up in this uh, quote by Robert Ingersoll, um, and he says, May we realize that happiness is the only good, that the time to be happy is now, the place to be happy is here, and the way to be happy is to make others so. I think that really kind of encapsulates what Buddhism is all about, that it's trying to focus on the here, the now, and basically living an upright moral life, trying to make others be happy, and then finding the joy in that. Um, so from there, we can kind of move on into my own personal experience. Okay. So when it comes to how I experienced it, I'll just kind of tell the, uh, story of how it went. Um, I don't know what led me to this. It was kind of a random thing I decided to do. Uh, and I was going, to, uh, I was just listening to music on Spotify at work, you know, and, decided to listen to Siddhartha. Um, they have a lot of audiobooks on there. And listening to the whole book, I realized that um, there's some problems with the author that 
he didn't properly represent everything. And it seems like maybe he got some ideas mixed up between Buddhism and Hinduism. But regardless, I think he got the idea out there, what kind of Buddhism tends to be about. Um, so I listened to that book and I was immediately struck by like, there's, there's something here. Um, so at this point I hadn't been exploring spirituality at all. And then I listened to that book and I was like, yeah, there's something I want to look into here. So at that point, I just kind of started hunting everything down that I could that had to do with Buddhism. And that led me directly to a Netflix documentary, which I recommend you watch. It's called Walk With Me, which is about Plum Village, the village I spoke about. That's the retreat um, run by, I don't know if he runs it or if he's just there, but Tich Nhat Hanh um, has in France. And it's, it's a great documentary. Most of it's pretty quiet because it's literally just watching Buddhists meditate and be quiet for the most part. Um, there's some talking um, and there's narration from Benedict Cumberbatch where he reads some of the poetry that Thich Nhat Hanh writes and his own words describing his experiences as a Buddhist monk. Um, and I thought I saw things in that documentary that I definitely recognized and I knew what it was. You see people crying, just tears streaming down their face during meditations and and hymns. And I knew what that was, um, that that for me was what I knew as the spirit. And the idea that it would be here outside the, the religion I'd known was extremely intriguing to me. Um, and so that, the reason that was is because when you come up in a religion like Mormonism, the main thing about it is that they purport to have the whole truth and the only truth, that they're the correct path. And so in my mind at that time, that precluded any other religion having that possibility. Uh, basically, um, the spirit leading you to any other kind of religion would have seemed to me like it was misleading you because if it, if you were going to be led to salvation, then you had to be led to the one true church, which is what the LDS faith considers itself. Now I think more progressive members of that, of the church view it quite differently. <laughs> I don't think they, um, sometimes you see this little kind of cognitive dissonance and I definitely had it where you simultaneously believe that your church doesn't have a corner on the truth, but then you, also simultaneously believe that it's the only true one. So those things don't really match up. But anyways, the fact that I saw people feeling those same feelings within Buddhism that I had felt in the church uh, when I was, a, you know, active and actively pursuing it. Because at this time I was fairly sure I was unworthy of those kind of feelings. There's another thing about Mormonism that's kind of terrible <laughs> sometimes is that you do not believe yourself capable of connecting with the divine unless you're living your life in an extremely perfect way. Now that's a misconception carried by a lot of Mormons. I think some of them have it figured out that they don't have to be that perfect. But uh, regardless, I knew that I was feeling something watching these people feeling something. And I had to explore that. So I, I continued diving in. Um, I soon found a podcast 
by one Noah Roshetta. And by chance, I mean, what do you know? He, he was once a Mormon and he was now a Buddhist. So I had to figure out how that worked, <laughs> considering my own background. And his podcast uh, is called Secular Buddhism. That's one of the resources I definitely recommend to you guys is that if you want to know more, it's from a fairly, obviously, secular point of view. He doesn't go too much into uh, Buddhism in terms of cosmology and stuff. He kind of sticks to the stuff that's generally useful, useful to people who aren't religious. And um, now what was interesting to me was the practice of it all, how it changed the way I saw things and the, the way that I act. Um, I found myself in a situation I didn't like. Um, basically, I was suffering like we all do, um, but now I was onto it and I wanted to change it. So I've been working a rather crappy day job for most of my life. Um, pays well, has benefits and all that, but it's not what one would call fulfilling. Uh, I'd say this podcast is probably the only time I've tried to do something that felt like work I wanted to do anyways. <laughs> but uh, Buddhism taught me how to cope with that, to see the beauty and usefulness even in my day job. Um, suddenly there were things that were worth noticing, an interesting meditation um, that I've done, and I actually encourage all of you to try. It's less of a meditation more than a pondering, um, but it's to take an object around you, any random object, and then account for all the factors that make it be there, all that leads to it being where it is. Um, so, for example, we could start with a piece of paper. You ask yourself, how did it come to be there? Um, well, there was the tree and or trees that supplied that paper. They were nourished by light, traveling light years from the sun to be absorbed and, and turned into energy for that living thing. That process itself likely took decades of growing sunlight, voyaging across the void of space to become life. Uh, there's the person who cut down that tree, themselves a result of millions of years of survival and toil on the behalf of his or her ancestors in order for them to be there cutting down that tree. There's the tool they used it, that they used to cut down the tree, the craftsmen and women who made it, and their parents, and so on and so forth. There's the soil that the tree grew in, the chemicals used to make the paper into what it is, the scientists who developed it, their parents. So you, you can literally do this forever. And what results is that you start to see that every single thing in this universe is a result of an infinite number of circumstances, some of them unbelievably improbable. And in that sense, they all become sacred. Even that which is unappealing to the eye becomes possessed of sacred beauty when you see it as it truly is. Um, the iron molecules that travel in your blood and provide you needed nourishment have their beginning in the heat forge of a star. Every little part of you has a vast history of transformation and circumstance that infuses each with incomprehensible value and beauty. And this is what I believe Buddhists mean by right view, that you see the world and each part of it for what it truly is. Um, and suddenly with that kind of a mindset, the whole world changes. Your shitty day job becomes filled with infinitely improbable people and objects. You value the uniqueness of those around you. And if you do this for long enough, it feels like you have joy on tap. It's one of the crazy things that happened is that I could meditate or become mindful. And suddenly, 
you do get this sense of joy. Um, and I like to use the word joy because it, I think it does convey the temporary nature of it. I think that's very in line with Buddhist thought is that happiness itself is also temporary. Um, we feel it and then it goes away, but we chase it as if it were something permanent. But Buddhism offered me a practice and a way of viewing the world that if I was able to settle into it properly, suddenly I just became overwhelmingly content and happy. Um, and I discovered that if I was feeling off or down, I could begin a meditation, breathe, look around me with that kind of true sight, and suddenly the world became reinfused with magic and wonder. Um, I believe in our modern age, most of us have ceased to see that beauty around us. We take for granted the absolute improbability of what surrounds us and what that improbability implies, that there is something more going on here. Uh, the chances of this exact set of circumstances are pretty slim. Um, and I resist the idea that all of this is, is meaningless. Now, I don't claim that there isn't some amount of chaos in the mix, that there's many things that aren't beautiful that occur in the world. Um, but to my mind, they're utterly outnumbered by the amount of beauty in the world, and that those unbeautiful things largely come about because we as humans fail to see the beauty and sacredness in everything. Uh, there's a reason that Buddhists refrain from harming any living things. Um, and that's a practice called ahimsa. They understand what I've been trying to describe <laughs> the last little bit, which is interdependence, that all things in this world are dependent upon so many things for their existence. Um, and this way we are connected to all that is, and it is connected to us. Um, and then harming anything around us intentionally becomes a way of harming ourselves. Um, now, obviously that's kind of the stuff that I find most beautiful about Buddhism, but for me to try and teach everything that there is there would take forever. Um, there would be, there, you can make a podcast about that alone. And so that's why I recommend that you do listen to a podcast that is about Buddhism alone. Um, so Noah Roshetta's Secular Buddhism is great if you want to kind of get the basics and what's um, kind of more Buddhist ideas about all aspects of life. You know, he talks about things like suffering and how to deal with difficult events, what the Buddhist view on that thing is. Obviously, we live in a time where tel terrible events are happening all the time, and sometimes that doesn't, it, it jars with the whole world is beautiful view <laughs> that I tend to have. Um, also, the a book that I would hardly recommend is, is called Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright. Um, he's an evolutionary psychologist, so he looks at it from the perspective of that the way our minds work, the way our brains work, is kind of has its origin in our evolutionary history that we're a race of hunter-gatherers who became farmers, and then we quickly created this civilization that wasn't in line with what our psychology is like, because we very much still have um, cave people brains, in a sense, and that's why we suffer so much, um, because the constant not being satisfied is evolutionary, 
um, in the sense that like it makes sense <laughs> if you if you're a caveman to never be satisfied because if you ever become complacent you die because that's the way the world was but now we live in a world that's not like that at all where food and um, resources are fairly easy to come across in comparison and so but we still have that mindset of never having enough and that's what keeps us unhappy um, but he also looks at a lot of science a lot of psychology and studies that they've done about how the mind works and how that wraps up with buddhism as being kind of a nice handy fix for the way um, life is in a modern context so the main piece of tech that i want to bring to you guys as far as buddhism is concerned like i said there's a lot there that you could find useful but um, the main two things are, are meditation and mindfulness um, since it's a central practice of Buddhism, I think there was periods of history where meditation wasn't a big deal in Buddhism, but it seems to be now at least. And so it's something so useful that I encourage every person, spiritual or not, um, to practice it. So there's some good science behind this, um, which I kind of want to <laughs> go back over something I said in the first episode. Um, I don't have any problems with science at all. I just think that it tends to fail in explaining reality or the purpose of life. Um, and I think that's something that people who are really into science are lacking is that science can really help us find out truth, but it's not all truth. Um, there's some things that science just isn't equipped to deal with, um, to my mind. But there's great science behind the reasons that meditation works. They've both, uh, mindfulness and meditation have both been linked with alleviating depression and anxiety, as well as proving useful for helping with addiction. Um, for me, its main usefulness comes from how it helps us to all be less reactionary and more intentional with our actions. Uh, meditation, put simply, is to focus your attention on an anchor which is usually your breath or sounds in the environment. Um, and then you use that as a tool to help steal the mind or still the mind. Now you'll quickly notice that when you do this, you will fail to keep your mind free of thoughts and that this is not, however, a failure in meditation. Meditation is the practice of noticing when you have wandered into thought and gently pulling yourself back to your anchor. It's essentially muscle training for your brain. Um, to begin noticing when you have become lost in thought and then bringing yourself back to attention and the present moment. And I used to think that I had a fairly good hold on my brain. Um, we'd talk, me and my wife would talk about the nothing box and how I could just stop thinking and she found that to be impossible. But shortly after starting meditation practice, I discovered that my mind was constantly running all the time and that it was nigh and impossible to clear it for more than a couple seconds. Um, and you'll notice that with practice, eventually you'll get to a state where you can keep your head clear for a full minute. And that's that's wonderful progress. So um, it's essentially, uh, the studies have shown that there's an area of the brain called the default mode network, that when we're not doing anything or we're bored, it basically just pumps our brain full of thoughts. And they've done studies that notice that that portion of the brain is inactive during meditation or less active anyway. And that also long time meditators have 
a reduced size in their amygdala. So the amygdala, you could call your lizard brain. It's that part of you that is reactionary, that's fight or flight. And I think it's fairly obvious how a reduction in size of that could help us in our modern life that we're, if we're not trading every situation as if it were life-threatening, <laughs> it would be easier to be calm and happy. Um, so the main benefit for me was that I found that I didn't persist in bad moods for very long. Um, it used to be that, you know, something would happen early in the day or even stuff from the night before, and it would ruin the entire day. Um, and meditation helped me to more quickly realize when my thoughts were taking me to a negative place and correct it. Um, and so instead of ruining my entire day, ruins maybe a few minutes or an hour. Uh, so meditation kind of restores my agency and control over my mind. It gives me strength to decide what it is that I do and do not wish to pursue in terms of thoughts. Um, usually dealing with emotions entails feeling them intensely when it comes to Buddhism. If you're angry, you sit with it. If you feel you have to feel it, you have to analyze it and then let it go. I think the persistence of so many negative emotional states in our modern age is the result of pushing that shit down. We think that being angry or sad or depressed is somehow immoral. We beat ourselves up for feeling that way. And so instead of dealing with those emotions, we we ignore them, shove them in a box. And that doesn't address them. They come back stronger and more persistent. Um, but what we, and so that stuff that we ignore, it gets worse. But meditation asks you to take a true look at what you're thinking and feeling and address it. Um, that's the other thing is you're not supposed to ignore your thoughts and feelings during meditation. You become aware. There is a meditation practice that basically is like imagining yourself sitting on the on the bank of a river and that river is your thoughts and you watch them float by. So you pay attention to them, you see what they are, but you don't hold on to them. You just feel them and then let them go. Um, you'll find that there's quite a bit of different variations on meditation. There's different things you can focus on. There's different breathing techniques, all kinds of stuff. Um, so in the spirit of giving you resources for that, I personally use an app on my phone called Insight Timer, which is called Insight Timer because its simple function is that it lets you set a timer for meditation that uses bells to kind of inform you how much time you have left and also music if you so choose. But it also has a ton, and I'm talking tons of guided meditations, talks, uh, courses. The courses are behind a paywall. Um, I do pay the subscription. I found it extremely useful. Um, there's definitely a lot of new agey kind of stuff on Insight Timer, but I've found some of that stuff useful. <laughs> so, uh, if but if you don't want to have to pay into it, obviously don't um, use it works for you. Besides Insight Timer, there's apps such as Headspace and Calm that are great alternatives. And even their free versions can get you into the basics. Um, so to sum up, of all the spiritual practice, practices that I've adopted since I started this whole journey, um, I would say that Buddhism is particularly equipped to help deal with pain and suffering that is a normal part of life. Um, after all, 
that's what the Buddha was after. Um, I'd say on the whole, he did a great job. I don't really go to Buddhism for a cosmology. Um, I don't have a problem with reincarnation per se. Um, I think at the moment, I like the idea of multiple lives, but I also don't believe I'll be reincarnated as a dog someday. But I'm also not professing knowledge in that area either. I have ideas, but none of my experiences so far have led me to any knowledge of what happens after death um, in an exact sense. Um, but there's some moral requirements within Buddhism that I don't agree with, um, that, or at least I don't agree that they apply themselves equally across all types of people. Um, in general, I think I do agree with its general provision of do no harm, um, that you don't harm other living things, other sentient things. Um, that goes down to and including like bugs and stuff. <laughs> but I think that's kind of a general rule that seems to be in all spiritual practices and that there's a reason for that. Um, that you, most of them as a basic provision seem to say, do your thing, but make sure you're not hurting anybody else. And I think that's a good general rule. Um, there's also a lot of things I never looked into when it came to Buddhism since I approached it from a very purely secular position. Um, at the time, I considered myself agnostic, and I wasn't really looking to worship anything. That being said, there's kind of a slew of divine beings to interact with in different divine traditions, if you so choose to. Um, for me, I just merely came to harbor a great respect for the Buddha, his wisdom, his mission. But I don't see him as any more divine than the rest of us, but as a human being who had a mission and he fulfilled it. And that was a big mission, to end human suffering. Um, and I think he's he's come as close as any of us can hope for. Um, I figure that just like Jesus or a particular saint, he can be interacted with um, like they can. And for me, the way you interact with, that you learn more about Jesus is by reading the Bible and learning his history and maybe in the end, even talking with him. Um, I personally don't believe that the dead are gone. Uh, and then you can make of that what you will. Um, I believe if we wish to, we can communicate with them up to and including the Buddha. But this is like an area of spirituality that I'm still studying and exploring, so we'll leave it for now. Um, so in the spirit of that, I kind of, I sincerely hope you found something of value in this and that the resources I provided um, are going to be enough for you to go on studying Buddhism and finding something worthwhile there. I mean, obviously, between the podcasts, uh, like Noah Rochetta's and the books, I recommend those because those were helpful to me. But I mean, a simple Google search and you're going to come up with troves of information. So if you found something different, if some of you have practiced some of it and some of it was works great for you, I'm totally happy for you to share that with me. Uh, feel free to contact me via the email address for the podcast, which is newageraid at gmail.com. And it's one of the great things is like our listenership is still pretty low. I'm more than happy to interact with all of you and get feedback on to things I may have said wrong or things you disagree with. Um, I'm sure many of you have a thing or two to teach me. Um, so that being said, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. If you have any questions, go ahead and visit the email or send an email to the email address. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash new age raid. And I would appreciate the support. Um, 
but we will see you guys next time. The next topic I think we're going to hit is probably something a lot of you are unfamiliar with. Um, not all of you, because I know who I've recommended this podcast to, but um, we're going to look at journeying. Um, more probably commonly known as shamanism, but that term's a little bit problematic. So we'll look at journeying, um, mostly because it's where I hit next after Buddhism, and it's one of the most profound things, uh, practices that I've taken up on my journey. Um, I think it's super, super useful and Man, I can't, uh, we'll, we'll get into it then. I'm already getting excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that's where we'll hit up next. Hopefully I'll have it within the week. I'm trying hard to chug these out because I realize that I'm sharing my podcast with a bunch of people and you've got one episode, now two to listen to. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get some content out there for you guys. Um, anyways, uh, once again, thanks for listening. I really appreciate those given the time of day. It's I'm getting better at the audio and not saying ums and ahs so much. Not that it's a big deal, but um, I'm still I'm studying up on <laughs> editing techniques and all that stuff. So hopefully we'll we'll be getting even better as time goes on. So thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Thanks for helping out. I appreciate it. We'll see you next time.